You're listening to a podcast from Blogging Heads TV. Are we going? Yeah, hi, Mickey. Hey, Mickey, you've got a hammer there. The and you're playing the song. If I had a hammer. And you do have a hammer. Correct. Gosh, Mickey, I'm inclined to ask, why are you holding the hammer? You know why I have the hammer. Actually, I am so out of it. If you're talking about, like, uh, the latest Steve Bannon attempt to cast the election into doubt, I'm kind of, well, I I am and I'm not out of it. I'm up on some things, but is this one of those? This is the, this is the latest conspiracy theory. Forget about, forget about Dominion software. That's yesterday's theory. Today's is the hammer and the scorecard, which is that there's a secret computer program breaking into election uh, web, you know, uh, apps across the country. And then there's this program that's called Scorecard that comes in and changes the results. Hmm. Hence Biden's win. Um, so is that your latest I don't, uh, I don't, hope for I don't overturning the election? I don't buy it. But uh, sorry. I just said, is that your latest hope for overturning the election? You shouldn't no, give have, up. Have, the betting ahead. markets still give you a chance at overturning the election. As I, I have no hope of overturning the election. And actually, at this point, I don't think I want to overturn the election. Um, Why not? Uh, he seems like such a nice man. Hump, Hump's, Trump's being pretty crazy. I've mentally resigned myself to him losing. The prospect of his second term was never all that... Uh, appealing. You didn't know what he was going to do. Uh, and uh, I mean, what was going to have to shift into an anti-Trump mode anyway. Uh, and the main thing is that the Democrats did so badly in congressional elections that the threat that they're going to like go crazy and uh, pass some sort of giant, easily pass some sort of giant amnesty bill, which is what I was scared of, is, is that's receding. Uh, so um there's less to worry about with Biden, and I'd rather Trumpism proceeded without Trump at this point. So uh, emotionally, I just I'm not at all invested in Trump coming back. I I, I have the conventional wisdom, which is uh, he should be able to pursue all his lawsuits and you know recounts, and the recounts are the are the friend of people who want to restore faith in democracy, and all that's the friend of people who want to restore faith in democracy. And when it's all done, people will be convinced that he either won or lost, probably that he lost. There'll be a remnant that doesn't believe it, but more people will be convinced that the system worked than if he hadn't pursued them. So he should pursue them and then it'll end. And then almost certainly Biden will take office. Well, recounts alone won't won't do it, I think. I mean, last night, the big thing was that it became statistically impossible in Arizona for Trump to catch Biden and almost impossible for Trump to get within recount range because in Arizona, that's a tenth of a percent is the criterion for recount. I thought he missed the recount. What's that? I thought he missed the automatic recount. That's what I'm saying. Well, I don't know that that part is official yet, but that's almost certain. Yeah. The uh, And Georgia, you know, I, I don't know where Georgia and Wisconsin, where you are entitled to recounts will not do it now that now that Biden has Arizona. So I uh, now I'm not saying that they they don't have a chance at overturning this thing, but it's not going to come through simple recount. 
And what bothers me, and you know, as far as you're you're saying that, well, in the end, you know, transparency is good. Whatever, whatever the outcome, it'll be good. Is it, you know, you can certainly imagine them overturn. If, if you look at how they actually hope to overturn it at this point, it's not going to be in a way that actually makes it clear that Trump was the was entitled to victory. Um, it could be conceivably they could they could find a bunch of smoking guns, but if you listen to what uh, Steve Bannon is saying, and I think he is as much as anybody else the one person to listen to on this, and in a way the one person uh, most responsible for it even happening, he was laying out this strategy you know months ago. Um, if you listen to him, their hope increasingly is just kind of like gumming up the work so long that enough states fail to certify the vote in time that it will get thrown through that, through a combination of that and maybe some actually actual court victories that maybe overturned a state or something. But anyway, the, the main idea is if, if, if enough states don't certify, it winds up in the House of Representatives and there the Republicans would win because each state gets one vote and Republicans control the most state delegations. I mean, that's that's sort of crazy. But the the key thing to uh, the key point to me is there's all this fuss about the Dominion software, which is supposedly thrown some votes to uh, Biden and deleted some votes of Trump, is that the recount answers that question. In other words, if there is Dominion screwing up in Georgia, the recount would find it. And it's most likely not to find it. And if it doesn't find it and Trump still loses Georgia, I think that's the end of the ballgame. I mean, he, he, as you say, even with Georgia, he would need some some sort of vote denying court ruling in Pennsylvania to pull it off. And uh, so uh, the most likely outcome is the positive outcome. The recount reaffirms the result. If it doesn't reaffirm the result, that'll be really interesting, won't it? (laughs) Again, this just isn't about recounts. There aren't enough recounts to do it. If it, if I said it gets, it'd be interesting. I didn't say it would. Yeah, that would be in, sure. That would be interesting. I mean, your point is that because they're recounting manually, they would pick up uh, software problems. Is that is that what you yeah, mean? Yeah, if the software miscounted the votes and reallocated votes to Biden that weren't there, uh, the recount will not ch- turn up those votes, and the and the total will be different. Uh, that seems to be what even what even. Uh, I follow this website, uh, follow this woman, I think her name is Molly McCann, who works for Flynn's Lawyers, Sydney, whatever her name is. And um, uh, she's pretty out there in terms of recount, but it is also sort of ultimately presents a sensible demeanor, unlike Bannon. And she's very discouraged about Arizona. And she, she, she said that the, that the recount should turn up any Dominion uh, shenanigans. So... Um, it's a good thing to do, even if Trump doesn't have a chance. And the other alarming thing is, uh, it is, which I don't think will happen either. I think I think the having the states not certify the electors is ridiculous. And the other alarming thing is that Pence, when could just say, "I refuse to accept uh, these electors," and just when he's chairing the Senate, move to. Uh, to appoint some other electors, and the Washington Post had no answer to that except, except uh, he couldn't do that. That would be too awful. <laughs> well, I think that's true. I don't think if, Pence would do that. I don't think. I, of course, it's not going to happen. But it's interesting that they had no. There was no sort of automatic check against that, other than 
oh, that's too awful. No, it's not going to happen. But yeah. I, I just think I think I so I think it'll happen. And in, 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 in if what you say is right, and I think it probably is, uh, you know, unless there's some stunning Hollywood movie ending development, uh, Trump will exhaust his remedies and and he'll he'll figure out some way to to, uh, cons- you know, to to move away still fighting and either declaring his candidacy or 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 something like that there there's not mm-hmm. um the tricky thing is 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 Georgia because the, the, there's this runoff election in Georgia that's all important two runoff elections and one of the theories was that Trump was kicking up this fuss to keep the base stoked up for Georgia okay the problem is the Georgia election is January 5th how does he keep if he's mm. contesting the election, how does he contest the election? That all gives the way Trump to, way too much credit, to, both for goodwill and for strategic thinking. I mean, he's just he's just reacting as he always did, does. He 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 has probably never ever admitted that he lost fair and square in his entire life. He didn't in the Iowa caucus. He didn't with the popular vote with Hillary. He just he's just incapable of saying I this, lost. I I believe you, but this is what various aides, if not Trump himself, told Robert Costa of the Washington Post. And, and it's a flattering you know, spin. So, yeah. so and, and he's going to uh, he's going to run out of road in terms of fighting fighting the results in early December or mid December. So what does he do for the next four weeks? He obviously has to come up with some formulation that keeps the base stoked. Uh, you know they they you know I, I I'm pissed off that they stole this election and you know in the past tense they have stolen it and. And, you know, we're going to keep up the fight and this is your chance to tell them, you know, tell them what you think of them and to deny them a majority in the Senate. I I think that should work, but it's a tricky thing to pull off. And the constant threat is from him. Apparently, he made it explicitly to Mitch McConnell is that he won't pull it off. What does he care if the Republicans win the Senate? Uh, You know, he's he's out of there. So he might just sort of take his toys and go home. And sabotage the Republicans' attempt to hold the Senate, and he's threatened to do that. And it's a, it's a credible threat. I mean, everybody must be terrified that Trump is going to stab the Republicans in the back here. Uh, so it seems to me that's the ongoing drama um, is, is keeping Trump on board with the Republican Party. Yeah, well, I will say there are a couple of reasons that uh, Trump Trump diehards should not totally give up hope uh, on the uh, on the over turning the election front. One is just, um, you know, I do take the betting markets seriously. Like if you go to Betfair, the amount of money bet on, on the one bet, who will be the next president, is like over $800 million. So when the needle moves on that, it's like serious bettors, you know, millions of dollars have come in and it's serious bettors. Some of them have teams of analysts and researchers. We're no longer talking about uh, a few Trump supporters in middle America, you know, putting down a thousand bucks. And, uh, you know, after the election, that the, the chances of, of, of Trump, uh, winning, uh, according to Betfair, at one point got down to like 3%, 2%. It came back up to like 10, 11% as recently as a couple of days ago. It has since receded to like 7%. And I guess that's good news from my point of view, but, they think there's still a non-trivial chance, and I'll tell you, I mean, <laughs> listening to Steve Bannon, and, I, and I, I just cannot wait until I no longer feel I have to do that, and I don't honestly know why I listen to it now, because 
it causes me untold anxiety, especially right now, because you listen to him. I mean, this guy is like the nerve center of this whole thing. He has on all the people, all the lawyers who are filing things. He has on Giuliani. He has on people who are agitating in Georgia. Blah, blah, blah. Um, and you realize that they're throwing a ton of stuff at the wall. I mean, you, you haven't even mi- mentioned Michigan. They, they claim to have credible people making amazing claims who are going to testify and have signed affidavits in Michigan. Um, and... But they're, they're way behind in Michigan, like 140,000 votes. Yeah, but believe me, their stories are that 100,000 100, votes is a drop in the bucket compared to what they're alleging in Michigan. It is, it is true that when Jesse Jackson won, I t- did I tell this last time? When he won the Democratic primary in 1988 in Michigan, basically the whole press corps said, yeah, th- this, this was fishy. These voters came from nowhere. This must have been crooked. But it was Jesse Jackson. Nobody was going to deny him an amazing showing, so nobody kicked up a fuss. But yeah. back then, it was considered that Detroit was was not on the up and up. Yeah, who knows? Could be, but that that kind of that kind of data alone ain't gonna ain't gonna get it for you. Um, I don't think a few affidavits is going to get it for you either. Well, but I'm telling you, there's like billions, and and I think their strategy is, you know, some you just you just you flood the courts with them. And someplace, somewhere they find a sympathetic ear. Now, I will say some of these people are kind of dubious. And in fact, I would like to play you something. You know, I, I think the, the uh, Four Seasons landscaping thing broke after we taped last week. So we didn't, uh, I think it was a Saturday thing. So we didn't have enough time to, re- we didn't have the opportunity to revel in it, which first of all, I would like to do. You know, I, I, a couple of weeks ago, I said to you that some thing Rudy was involved in had convinced me that we're living in a simulation. Well, I mean, this closes the deal. We are living in a simulation. That was just too good. Trump tweets out press conference at Four Seasons, Philadelphia, and then, and then add sometime later, Four Seasons landscaping. And, and it's, I still want to know how this happened. Was it just a book or a book the wrong place? I mean, I don't know. I, I, I want to know the story, but what I want to do right now is play you uh, something, no one is paying attention to what actually happened at the press conference. Okay. So I was listening to the Bannon podcast, as is my want, and he switched live to the Rudy press conference. Um, okay. And Rudy had three star witnesses. Okay, now, one of them uh, was a guy named Daryl Brooks, who it has since uh, come out, uh, is a convicted sex offender. He did three and a half years in prison for exposing himself to two girls, ages seven and eleven. Okay, so that's the one witness, and he didn't say anything significant anyway. It, it, it almost wasn't important to undermine his credibility. But that's but he didn't one expose himself. Not at the press conference, yeah, no. And that's was, the good news. I mean, I, yeah, I think we too often dwell on the downbeat. Bad. We right <laughs> that, that was not that press conference was not a total disaster. Many ways it could have gone worse. Okay. So here is another of the three star w- witnesses that I'm gonna um play for you. She's a lady who uh now, her thing was, she signed up to be a poll watcher. She went there, and they said, sorry, your name's not on the list. Uh, you know, and that happened to a few other people she used with. And, you know, that happens. We've all had the experience. You go to a party, whatever. You're not in the computer. you right. got to deal with it. Um, and, and nobody's alleging that there weren't other Republican poll watchers led into this same venue. That's not it. But um, I, I want to play this. So she starts out saying, um, you know, why she's wanted to be a poll watcher because she's like a 
You know, she's tired of being ostracized for being a Trump supporter. And then she says, you know, my name wasn't on the list. At first, I thought it was innocent, an innocent mistake. I want you to pay attention to the evidence she cites as being the reason she switched to the view that actually this was intentional. Her exclusion was intentional. Okay, so um, here goes. And I'm a daughter of a World War II veteran and who fought for and or ran away from horrible, horrible times where people are repressed and sent away. And what I noticed when I was brought in to be a poll watcher, um, I was never brought in, actually. I never got past the first identification stage. They kept saying that mine, as well as five or six other Republicans, uh, their names hadn't been entered into the system. And after uh, the first time it happened, the second time it happened, I was had no uh, second thoughts about it being a problem more that somebody failed to finger us into the computer system. But after a while, what I witnessed, and I, I said to Mr. Giuliani before, in a, in a morbid curiosity staring, at, I felt insidious fraud going on. I felt that we were kept away from doing our civil duty. That was everybody on both parties should be upset about. This is horrible. We're being restricted. We're being restrained. And I see it as nothing as the insidious nature. Okay, did you catch that? No, I, I, that's because I there is there, there is no evidence. I mean, she just says for a while she thought it was innocent and then it hit her. No, this isn't innocent. And I mean, I thought she listened to Giuliani or something. I she don't says, know. as I told Giuliani. Oh, OK. And then she said something about this insidious staring or something or morbid insidious staring as if somebody was staring at her. I mean, I just want to say this is one of his three star witnesses. The other is a convicted sex offender. The third well, guy. A lot of writing on the third guy. <laughs> well, the third guy wasn't so bad. He sounded credible. What he said was <clears throat> they were too far away. Remember, originally, for citing pandemic reasons, they had these people like the observers 20 feet away. Then they got a court order saying move them to six feet away. He says, well, actually, it felt more like 15. And then he says he saw some boxes of ballots that seemed like all the. Uh, or, or envelopes maybe that seemed like they all had the same color kind of ink or the same kind of handwriting or something. Of course, he's 15 feet away. Who knows? So that's not nothing. And he didn't, didn't not sound credible, but, but there's one thing I, that occurred to me in the course of this, which is that Bannon on his podcast for the months now has been saying in anticipating the post election ruckus, as he called it, you know, comparing right. it to Florida 2000. He's been saying, we're going to need some, you know, some, some tough people. What you can do is sign up as a poll watcher. He's been saying that over and over. So he has been recruiting. And I mean, his audience to begin with includes no few conspiracy theorists. I mean, right. for example, for example, Bannon is positive that the networks called the election when they did specifically to Bigfoot Rudy's press conference. Cause boy, they wouldn't want this kind of stuff getting out. Um, you know, he's a total conspiracy theorist. And uh, although he denies that um, and he's got a totally fervent audience and he's been recruiting them, getting them to sign up as poll watchers for months. So if you ask who are these people who, who are right now signing affidavits, I'm sure no few of them are people who were specifically recruited, you know, to create trouble afterward, after the election, in a sense. I'm not saying they're all lying, uh, but I'm saying they're not your they're not your father's uh poll watchers yeah no it's it, it nothing i've seen has been particularly uh damning of, of the evidence that's brought out but on the other hand it's just not it's and in fact you know 
it's not, it's not crazy to worry about election fraud and shenanigans in Philadelphia, but there was a very credible, seemingly credible guy who had actually helped prosecute one of the actual convicted fraudsters in Philadelphia. And he came out, I think his name was Schmidt. He came out and said, I, I, I'm sorry, I haven't seen anything fishy in this election. So that guy has some credibility. Um, and Trump immediately came down on him like a ton of bricks. Uh, but, um, uh, no, but that's the point. The, the, the point is we can see how ridiculous these things are and move on. Yeah, but what I, don't, I don't see the existential threat to democracy. I just, just as we were going on air, I got in a Twitter fight with Andrew Sullivan, which I didn't have a chance to finish, where he said, you know, nobody is saying, he said, nobody is saying that Trump shouldn't pursue all legitimate lawsuits. Uh, well, yes, they are saying that. And uh, and uh, they're, they're saying he should concede and be a man and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. He lost. He should take it gracefully. Um, and uh, but but don't you understand the excess, the, the, you know, the grave threat to democracy of Trump saying the whole system is rigged? Well, no, I don't. I mean, I think it's a bad thing to do. I think it'll pass. It'll, I think Andrew's getting overexcited. I think the Democrats were saying that the last election was rigged in a different way that was also credible. I didn't think I didn't think they were wrong to eat, worry about Russia, and uh, and 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 it'll all it'll you know it will it too will pass and uh, it's crazy to see existential crises around every corner. Uh, I don't think so. I mean, I think it's bad for democracy when Trump convinces millions and millions of people that this election was fraudulent when it's not. And and and, and actually, I I think um, there are some people who are saying. Trump should pursue legitimate lawsuits, get rid of the frivolous ones, and above all, quit asserting that there's a fraud that he so far has produced no valid evidence of. That's the big crime is... But I think, I understand, that's what Andrew said too, but I think voters are perfectly capable of deciding what they think about that. And, you know, so Trump will have 20% of the population will believe that and it'll gradually whittle down to 10, 9, 8, 0. Well, you, you uh, have... You know, it's 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 it's... Saying it's bad for democracy is one thing. Saying it's a grave existential threat is another. Well, the idea that the, the, the truth will emerge from a process like this, which you seem sure of, and, and will be Chris, and, and not only that, but the truth will be clear to everyone. I'm just telling no, you, it's, it won't, it's, it won't it's, be the case. It's never going to be clear. It wouldn't be clear if Trump gracefully conceded and went away. It would, uh, <clears throat> it'll be clearer than if we never had the lawsuits in the first place, because we're obviously calling everything out of the woodwork, right? And if mm -hmm. this is all that comes out of the woodwork, maybe there's not a whole lot of stuff in the woodwork, right? Yeah, but this isn't all. I mean, that's what I'm saying. If Bannon, you know, gets – and it's not crazy to think he, he got thousands of people to sign up as poll watchers and no few of them are now signing affidavits. Some of them are claiming huge things and some of them will seem credible. And some and look, some of them could be credible, but it happens all the time that credible-seeming – People turn out uh, to be more dubious than you thought. I mean, what's the name of uh, Biden's accuser, Tara Reid? I found her totally credible, and then things emerge that cast serious doubt, and um, and and it will happen. I assure you that there will be credible seeming people. Maybe they'll be able to say they even worked for local election authorities or something, and they will continue to make uh, big claims. Whatever happens with this, that will convince millions of people. That, uh, that, that, you know, they should live the rest of their lives in a paranoid state, uh, suspicious of 
of uh, democracy here, and and that's just not good. I, and I don't. I mean, are you saying it's it's there's nothing wrong with it at all? You're just saying, well, the no, damage th- of, no, the damage of millions of people thinking of I'll that even is not that great. I that it's bad for democracy. I just don't think it's an existential crisis, that, and I think people are getting too worked up about it. Trump will be gone soon from the White House, and 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 people sh- people who oppose Trump should appreciate that and not. There is this. There's this. There is this. There is this bizarre urge to, to somehow, which I which I found is increased after Biden won. The urge to beat up on Trump and Trump supporters, which you thought would go away because hey, they won, is actually increased. There's this still this the pent up demand has not been satisfied. Uh, there's an article by Michael Dougherty in uh, National Review, which I haven't read because I can't get through the paywall, but um. I mean, paywalls uh, are getting it, oppressive, but go ahead. It it, um, it basically says that, you know, they would love Trump to uh, try to stage a coup so they could defeat it. And then it, it, that would be the Hollywood ending, right, where Trump would fulfill all their their, their worst fantasies. Well, that's not going to happen. And I have a I have a crazy theory for why they are so uh, still intent on somehow exacting some sort of revenge. What is your crazy theory? When are we angriest, Bob? We're angriest when we're a little bit guilty. Well, uh, I have a different theory. Because, first, first, let me give well, you because, the because wait because when yeah. when we're a little bit guilty, we're not just out for justice. We're out for uh, what's the word? Uh, validation, vindication. Oh, vindication. okay. So we're saying yes, you were guilty, but that's okay. You're okay. Trump is bad. Okay. They, they 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 feel a little guilty at ignoring all the deplorables and letting Trump get elected, <laughs> and this is they want to wash they want to wash this sin away by having Trump be as you know as evil pronounced by the cosmos as evil as they thought it was. Uh, I wish. I mean, I theory. honestly, I wish a lot of Democrats were had the slightest clue that some of the grievances of uh, Trump supporters are worth paying attention to. I still don't think the message has gotten through. I mean, maybe you've got some elaborate Freudian theory about how it's floating around in their unconscious yes, or something. that's my theory. Yeah, well. At some level, they they realize it. I'm not a Freudian. I think the more straightforward um, theory as to why, if indeed a lot of people in the resistance are still being dicks, and, and I think it's safe to say they are, I think part of it is just that Trump hasn't conceded. I think if he had conceded, you would see at least somewhat less of that. I mean, he's keeping but, the war going. But there's this there's this absurd etiquette of concession where somehow we have an election and it's very big and complicated and there are lots of potential challenges, yet the etiquette is the guy's supposed to concede immediately, which is stupid. Conceding, how can you concede and then also pursue the losses? That means you haven't conceded. We should just get rid of the etiquette, as, as we saw with Gore- Versus Bush, it doesn't mean anything anyway. You can unconcede later. So uh, why do we make them go through? Why can we say, you know, let's let the process proceed, and the and eventually a winner is declared, and you know, after the electors choose the winner, then he can concede. Well, again, my but, gripe isn't so much about him not conceding as him claiming, you know, that there's definitely fraud and it was stolen, and just making up crazy shit. Mickey, you've seen it. He just retweets. Shit no, without examining making, it at all, he's, and he's retreating crazy shit. I agree. Yeah, that's bad. Well, that's I, bad. I, he's I, the president, Mickey. Well, but he's Trump. He's going to go. You know, he's that's a my point. Generous character. That's my point. There's a mismatch between discount. what we expect of the president and what Trump is. That's right. my point. Voters are quite capable of judging whether Trump is is fulfilling their 
legitimate desires for what a president should do. And I think they will make that judgment. That's, so all and, voters and are and perfectly rational. Is, you have a model of human beings as all being perfectly rational. No, but I think they're rational enough. That's why I believe in democracy. If you, if you don't believe that, then you're not a Democrat, which a lot of anti-Trumpers are, are you know, are a bit seemingly abandoning democracy. There's a, well, um, so are Trumpers. I mean, I, the, you know, the, the, this overturn the election um, movement is at least uh, is at least somewhat cynical. I think. I mean, I mean, the what? The, yeah, the overturn the, the, the overturn the election movement is at least somewhat. Cynical. I mean, Bannon would clearly do anything. I mean, of course, he's fighting for a pardon. I mean, you know, he he to some extent, I think he's just proving his Trump bona fides to increase the chances he gets. Pardoned. I don't think it's a coincidence that he has Rudy Giuliani on his show every day. I mean, it doesn't hurt to have the president's lawyer uh, singing your, you know, singing your praises. That's a good theory. Uh, but, um, but still, I mean, it, it, it's you can tell he knows that some of the stuff he's not saying is that not all the stuff there, he's saying is true. There Bannon. is a question. I mean, do do we think Trump believes? I think Trump may believe, actually believe that he was. Re- uh, robbed of the election in in one of a variety of ways. I don't think he actually believes that the Dominion software uh, stole votes from him. I, I, I mean, do you think he does? His brain is a black box to me. I mean, I honestly do not know. Again, I think it's quite possible that he's one of these people who's literally never admitted that he lost anything. Um you know, a big part of my theory of Trump, to the extent that I have one, is that um, basically, I mean, I should start with my, you know, my own view of human nature, was, which I think more skeptical and cynical than yours, is that, you know, people are not designed to see the truth or tell the truth. You know, we were created by natural selection. We think the kinds of things and say the kinds of things, broadly speaking, uh, or at least our algorithms for figuring out what to say were, were shaped by... Um, evolution and the criterion was what kinds of things get genes in the next generation, not what kinds of things are true. And I think, you know, if people keep saying things and they get positive and they get affirmation for them and people nod their heads and applaud, they just keep saying them. And I think they kind of think of them as being true. And then if they get a lot of blowback, they kind of quit saying those things. And I think Trump is somebody who, by virtue of his strange upbringing, has has gotten away with remaining a, a, a weird combination of bully and crybaby all his life. He just it just consistently worked from you know adolescence uh, through that weird little little kind of uh, you know middle brow prep school he went to in the real estate business. I think just being a built a bully and always complaining you were wronged and so on it always worked. So I don't. I don't know. I'm not convinced that he realizes how much of the stuff he says is not true. I just don't know. Uh, well, you, there were various reports coming out of the White House that he understands that he lost and this is he realizes this is all for show. And you don't know uh, whether those reports are true or they're just trying to make Trump look better than he looks to the public. So I don't know either. They could also just mean he's accepted that he won't actually win in the you know in the post election fight, which is not the same as admitting that he lost. Right. The um, of course, what counts is not for evolution is not uh, whether you get blowback in general, but whether you get blowback from your immediate subgroup, right? Because 
I mean, the, I think the blowback from society against the Trump conspiracy theories is counterproductive. It's the right. media bullying him into con- concede now. You must concede. You lost. And within the Trumpers, that just looks like no. I'm not going to. Con- I'm not going to cave to this bullying. Well, this so is true. This is true on both sides. That's why I'm against sides. the bullying. Yeah, and it's true. Uh, same with the resistance. I mean, they get tons of blowback. Uh, from the other side, but that only increases their stature within the resistance. So both sides of the, of, of the polarized, uh, society are getting affirmation from their tribe by virtue of the blowback they get from the other tribe. <clears throat> and, and, and I think this is true with the resistance. I think like during Russiagate, the actual capacity of people to judge evidence calmly and rationally deserted them because they kept getting retweets for saying this is the smoking gun we found the smoking gun the the same system and the web especially and the financial models behind the web reward people who see existential crises around every corner and uh i would i would say uh you know i've seen a lot of you know a lot of uh, there should be some word for the for the fear of existential crises, but there are a lot of people who see asteroids heading toward the Earth, and a lot more asteroids than you see, and and they get rewarded for it. Well, it depends on the asteroid. I mean, my own personal shtick about the impending apocalypse doesn't seem to get much pickup. Um, I think I, I have just managed to choose the wrong asteroids. I mean, the catastrophes <laughs> I think we need to be worrying about as a civilization are not the ones on everyone else's radar screen. And uh, I have trouble. But but I digress. Um, I, don't so, want to, I don't want to lapse into self-pity like Trump. I was encouraged that on Trump's Twitter, I, I'm worried about this. I, of course, want the Republicans to win in Georgia, although I guess it would be too, how about a quirky position that I'm for Purdue winning and against left winning? That would be, Wait, which that would one be, is, that which one is Ossoff? Which one is Ossoff and which one Ossoff is the is minister? Ossoff is Purdue. And Purdue is the author of the Rays Act, which I like, which would have cut, you know, cut some immigration categories and on in order to raise wages. So um, uh, I like him. And Leftward just seems like a ridiculous, uh, you know, state of the art, you know, establishment Republican. Uh, now, are, are so, both um, Purdue and is it Leffler or Loeffler? Anyway, are both, are both of them accused of insider trading off the pandemic, or is it just Purdue? No, I think it's just Leffler. Oh, it's just Leffler? You sure? I think it's just. I think maybe, maybe it's, it's a twofer, which would be amazing. They should. Maybe it's a the Democrats should capitalize on. They can save money on ads. <laughs> they, I'm, I'm sure they've already done that. But um, now Ossoff, I don't find. I have to say, I want him to win, but I don't find him super appealing. He r- reminds me of Beto a little too much. The other guy is much more appealing, but the um, other guy's super appealing. Uh, now but, they say uh, he's pretty far left, and that may doom him. But as a guy on TV, that's, that's he's different great. Different from appealing, he seems centered and rational. Totally, uh, uh, he seems he, very authentic in a way. If you're head of a giant church, you're going to have some leadership abilities, right? You're not going to be a nobody. Yeah, but there are heads so. of giant churches who who come off as the opposite opposite of authentic, and he comes off as authentic. Correct. Uh, anyway, so uh, I'm I was encouraged that Trump's website, Trump's Twitter feed at least, is pushing Leffler and, and Purdue, but of course that's no guarantee of what Trump will do. I mean, one tweet could end Republican control of the Senate if he says, you know, uh, 
you know, you know, Leffler was not a good friend to me, you know, blah, blah, blah. Boom, she's toast. She's just Sessions. So well, Bannon is saying that uh, Trump should use this leverage, basically. I mean, I don't know if he said it in so many words, but I mean, first of all, you, you know, they're unhappy with the way that the Georgia recount is proceeding. They're saying the manual recount isn't enough. It's not they want a deeper audit and that Trump should lay down the law and threaten to withdraw support um in the Senate elections, uh, unless they, unless they shape up, but, uh. I read their list of complaints. It didn't seem like much. Uh, so, uh, it, it seemed like they had to have something to grouse about. Well, uh, I think they're, I like I said, they're reaching for every lever possible because, uh, right now the odds aren't looking great. Um, so, um, what uh what else in the realm of politics we have uh the the jockeying for jobs in the incoming Biden administration and i had it i there's so many people jockeying for jobs that you remember when there were so many writers who wanted to write about foreign policy that they started a second foreign policy magazine they did there was foreign affairs and then they started foreign policy it's the it's the first magazine that's ever been started, not because there was reader demand, but because there was writer demand. But that was <laughs> too, a, too many people wanted to pontificate. So obviously, what Biden, what they need to do is start a second government, because there are too many people to fit into one Biden government. They have to start a second government, so they have enough jobs to uh, to satisfy all the people who are looking to Biden uh, to be there, you know, to pay their bills. For the next four years, and maybe at some point they could switch the two governments. They can just say, "Okay, you guys have been in charge for two years." So they need now like we'll a bring in the B team, like a bullpen gov- government. Yeah, or like the B team, the shadow. The, a sh- you could have a shadow government for your own government, and it just just to just to keep everybody on board. Otherwise, he's going to have a lot of embittered people who didn't get jobs. And uh, I was, you know, by the way, good. foreign policy began as an actual physical, old fashioned bound journal. It, it existed back in the eighties. But I digress. I think is the eighties is eighties is when this invention. That that's I'm when you're about. saying this happened. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The um, can I, I I get to plug something now? So okay. in the newsletter, the non-zero newsletter, which you can subscribe to at nonzero.org and find at Substack as well as nonzero.org. In the issue that's going to go out, I think by the time this is posted, uh, we're starting a regular feature of issuing um progressive realism report cards to the uh likely to the to the prospective foreign policy advisors progressive realism being the ideology that all reasonable people wish prevailed in Washington instead of the blobs ideology so we well, we this week we do Anthony Blink Tony Blinken Anthony Blinken Tony Blinken who's the probably the the best situated to be either Secretary of State or National Security Advisor. And we give him grades in these different categories. It's definitive. It's compelling reading. What do you when do you get to Michelle Flournoy, the Secretary of Defense? Soon. Okay. <laughs> um, and and she and Tony Blinken are gonna be in roughly the same realm in terms of grades they really? receive. In I would terms have think, of Yeah. What would you have I, thought? I would have thought I, she's much more interventionist than Blinken is. Um, I, I don't know for sure that she won't get a slightly lower grade. I can't guarantee Blink, that. Blinken's but, whole thing was getting the troops out of Iraq. I think it was wrong, but it, that, I mean, that's hardly interventionist. Well, he doesn't want to get them out of Syria, and he uh, 
he's pretty interventionist. There have been a lot of there have been a lot of blobby things happening this week. One, we just had the outgoing some outgoing Defense Department factotum say, "Yeah, we lied to Trump about the Trump number, the troop numbers. We told he really thinks there are only two hundred troops left. We have many more than that." So there, there's there's the deep state in action. We had Joe Biden yeah. saying, "We're going to tell the Europeans we're back in the game." Okay, and I think we know what "back in the game" means. It means you know the the, the, the game of uh, trying to engineer some sort of better outcome in Syria. Uh, and in fact, Kamala Harris said, uh, we're going to we're, we're, we're you know, we're going to be back with our partners in Syria to to achieve a pro-democratic outcome. Well, having troops in Syria sort of helps achieve that pro-democratic outcome, doesn't it? She didn't say and we're going to ha- be, you know, militarily involved in Syria, but that's the logical outcome of, 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 I think, or the, the tendency of what she's saying. Uh, uh, and we had the, the Heritage Foundation came up with this, which I think, I don't think it was that interventionist before saying, you know, well, what's wrong with endless wars? I mean, we had a, we have a war in Afghanistan. It's given us greater awareness of the situation on the ground. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was worth the thousands of Americans who died. You're right. Well, I think Heritage has for quite a while been pretty interventionist. They used to be, they used to have a guy there who was a realist. I forget his name, but he co-authored a, a book called, I think, Ethical Realism with Anatole Levin, who has a, a, a piece in Responsible Statecraft that we actually summarize in this issue of the non-zero newsletter. Um, so I think Heritage has been uh, uh, re- reverted to neocon some time ago. I think there was a while when they were among the realist um conservative think tanks but what in a way was as disturbing was that the heritage guy wrote that wrote it in the national interest and the national interest is so weird it supposedly is realist it is it is what at the center for the national interest or something but it's always publishing this neocon stuff i don't understand what the point of its existence is i like jacob halbrun who i think is still the editor and i like i'm fine pretty much with his ideology well, I, I just don't they, understand why he doesn't impose it on they're his, giving voices to people across the spectrum i thought when I look quickly, the national interest was somehow affiliated with Heritage. It's not affiliated with Heritage. Last I checked, it was affiliated with the Center for the National Interest, which had previously been called the Nixon something, and ha- and that's where its kind of realist heritage came from. Um, but, I, I hope I have this right, but well, but but you're right. I mean, that's what Jacob says when you ask him. He's like, "Well, we think we should run a cross section." Well, the other guys don't play like that. Did the Weekly White. Standard do that? Do, do the right-wing magazines air a diversity of views? James Bennett did that. Look where that got him. Uh, um, well, that was his job. I mean, that was the New York Times op-ed page. Uh, the uh, Why can't you run a magazine like an op-ed page? You can do whatever you want, Well, you right? can, but but you shouldn't pretend it's it has realist values if you don't serve them. And you shouldn't uh, act like... Gosh, in the interest of fair play, we need to roll over and die so that the neocons can... It was a very unconvincing article. Maybe they were publishing an unconvincing interventionist article just to discredit that point of view. Well, then I then my hat's off to them and I take take back the, everything um, I said. But it's I, not the first time my, they've run this my, kind of stuff. My impression is that, that, you know, they've had a turnover in the leadership at Heritage. It was their positions were co- colored heavily by this wild man, Michael Needham. Who was uh, their their head sort of face to the outside world, and he has now decamped and gone to become Svengali to Marco Rubio. Oh, great! So the Marco Rubio robot has a new programmer, 
and but still a neo programming right? it to be populist. No, I don't think so. I don't think he I don't think he's I think he was more uh, more realist. I don't know. I don't know what Needham's views are. I do not think Heritage has been realist in recent says. years. I do not think Heritage has been real okay. uh, realist okay. in recent years. Anyway. And I and I and I do not believe that Marco Rubio will ever surrender his neocon bona fides. Well, it's interesting. He, I didn't think he'd ever surrender his immigration, his pro amnesty bona fides either, and he hasn't. He says everything Needham wants him to say and stops at immigration. He doesn't mention immigration. So maybe the same thing is happening on foreign policy. He he, he he's basically sticking to his guns on foreign so, policy. So maybe we should talk a little about the Marco Rubios of the world. Like what happens if you assume that Trump does eventually leave, does leave the White House within a couple of months um, or a few uh, – Kind of what happens next? I mean, he didn't suffer the the huge defeat that might have 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 led Trumpism writ large to you know walk home with his tail between its legs or whatever whatever the metaphor should be for Trumpism. Um, but so so I mean, and and well, more to the point, he he can pretty much stand proud in the sense of not having been blown away. Although somebody might point out. That he didn't do as well as the congressional candidates, right? He didn't do as well, well as... that's the issue. The issue is the, the, the Republicans who didn't vote for Trump at the top of the ticket but did vote Republican at the bottom of the ticket, what were they? they and it seems to me there are four options. One is they were Trumpers without Trump. They were Trumpers who didn't particularly like Trump, but they, 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 they bought the MAGA philosophy or they bought the, the populist philosophy in their they can vote for a Trump-like candidate in the future, and he sort of, he lifted them up somehow. Uh, there, there's possibly that their old line establishment Republicans who dislike the Trumpers uh, and, and want to go back to the party of tax cutting and deficit uh, cutting and entitlement cutting and neocon foreign policy. There's the possibility that raised by this guy Kaufman that it was just a suburban reaction. I think he's the author of White Shift, Maybe a different Kaufman. Oh yeah, I've uh, had him, uh, Eric. Uh, Eric, yeah, yeah, I've had his, him on my, the, on my his podcast. His theory was an, it was a basically a, re, a horrified reaction to AOC and defund the police and the PC culture and the prospect of Democrats getting a majority, uh, you know, in Congress. So it was basically an anti-PC, anti-left vote. Uh, and then there's the most interesting one is Walter Shapiro's, which is. They are the people that weren't lazy, so lazy that they forgot to vote down ballot. In other words, Shapiro, and I'm, I'm building on this theory, he had the insight that uh, there's always what the, what's called roll-off, which is you vote for the top of the ticket and you forget to, you don't bother voting for the bottom of the ticket. So the, the vote totals for the bottom are much less than the vote for the top. And that this is, his, his insight was that this is exacerbated by mail-in voting. So... Mail-in people who are eager to go to the polls to vote for the top of the ticket are much more likely to forget the bottom of the ticket than people who go to the polls or in the polling booth. They might as well vote the whole ballot while they're there. You know, they're not. Just, yeah, OK, so uh, and the, the problem is the Democrats emphasize mail-in voting. So all of their people forgot to vote the bottom of the ticket right. and the Republicans who went to the polls voted the whole ticket. So it's just an artifact of a poor strategic decision on the part of the Democrats, there's a simple well, well, mechanical explanation, okay. and and all these all these hot takes that we're going to see about who were these Republican voters, 
are bogus because there was a simple explanation. Okay, but wait, that would explain why Biden outperformed the Democratic congressional candidates. I don't see how it explains why Trump underperformed the congressional candidates, right? I mean, you you don't, in-person voters don't start at the bottom of the ballot, right? They start at the top like everybody else, and they look at the president, and if they choose not to vote for him, that's a choice. Right. So, I mean... I, I thought Shapiro's theory was designed to explain why there's so much, is it roll off the term, on the Democratic yeah. side. And, it, and right. it does explain that in theory. Right. But it doesn't explain why Trump, unlike often presidential candidates in the past, uh, so underperformed his, the Republican congressional well, candidates. What about this theory? What are the, you know, you're, you're a standard Republican voter. You voted for you know, every election for the past 40 years, you're going to vote in this election, okay? You're not going to be susceptible to the Democratic urge to use a mail-in ballot. Right. So you go to the polls. Right. And what you, what you, you are a Republican and you are horrified, you know, maybe as Kaufman says, you're horrified by the Democrats or maybe you're a Ryanist or maybe you're, but you sort of don't like Trump. Yeah, so sure. You, so, so those people, that explains the result. That's an they, explanation. They voted, yeah, they, 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 you know, all the Republicans voted. They voted for the whole ticket, and twenty percent of them peeled off at the top just because they were repulsed by Trump. Well, that seems to be what happened. The question is, what well, was it they didn't like about Trump? I don't know. He's an ungrateful, bore, and asshole who who questions our calls into our question our most basic democratic norms. How about that? Um, there are hundreds of reasons to dislike Trump. They don't have to pick one. Right. I mean, so, so a lot of people are grossed out by Trump. I'm one of them. A lot of people on the right are. They're secretly happy that Trump left. Yeah. Well, anyway, this hurts his narrative a little. The fact that he underperformed them, e- even though he can say he didn't get shellacked as the pollsters had claimed, he lost. He apparently, if Georgia and Arizona hold up through all appeals, he lost two red states. And uh, in addition to the three blue states he won last time, and uh, the the you know the blue wall and um, I don't think so, Georgia's a red state anymore. Well, that's the point. He's the, it was on his watch that it became a blue state. That's not a source of pride. Shouldn't be for him. Well, but it was a blue. It was a purple state in the governor's race too with Stacey Abrams. It's you know okay, but presidentially, I think not since what Jimmy Carter or something. Not uh, so long ago. Uh, to, to people our age, some, uh, but, um, some of our viewers haven't heard no, of Jimmy Carter, well, Mickey. Well, that's, I, I, the answer is I, between those four theories, the only one I completely discount is that they were Paul Ryan deficit cutters. Obviously some were, but the, 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 you know, majority of the people were, uh, were, you know, um, uh, Jeff Flake types. I mean, no. You know, I think. I mean, one theory is just that, like, Trump's a dick, and they saw that, and, <laughs> like, and, and he, they had gotten what they needed out of him. He had delivered the Supreme Court uh, that they wanted, and, you know, it's like, whatever. Biden doesn't seem well, that threat—Biden doesn't seem that threatening to them. them. It's not like Bernie Sanders, well, although, actually, a lot of them might have liked Bernie, but anyway, um, you know, I don't know. But but, no, but it, 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 and they were probably they didn't know what Trump was going to do his second term and it might be something really bad. So could I mean, well be they're scared of it as I was. I mean so. to be honest, I'm shocked by how many people voted for him. I, I just uh, 
it's like I think of my parents. I mean, they haven't been alive for a long time, but they were not liberals. I mean, they would on balance on today's spectrum be considered conservatives, but I cannot imagine either of them voting for Trump just because he's so thoroughly embodied values they abhor as a human being. I mean, my father would have hated him, and so would my mother. And 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 that's why it's always shocked me that middle Americans, which my parents were, um, rallied around him. I, I still don't totally... Why can't they? Why can't they be instrumental too? Yeah, we—he's he, an asshole, but he's our asshole. I mean, that's perfectly within true. bounds. You can do that. You know, he just is a real test of how far you can you can take it. So, what do you think? So, who who do you? So, what happens next to the? I mean, does Trump run in four years? Well, there's uh, everybody thinks he's going to start his own network. My friend John Ellis has a very good piece that I link to on my Twitter feed about you know. Fox, is, as we know, is ripe for the taking. A, a, they've always been ripe for the taking. They make like $2 billion a year, and an upstart could rip off $1 billion pretty easily by being, you know, we're, we're another right-wing network, and we're actually better TV than Fox, which is pretty crappy a lot of the time. Uh, and now especially they've blown it because a lot of right-wingers are pissed off at their coverage of the election. They've been... They've been sort of – we have Tucker and Hannity on the one hand, and then you have this qu- quite liberal polling outfit that's called a lot of races against Trump that, that they consider a betrayal. And then you have the, the, you know, the, daytime, uh, the daytime thing, which isn't as right-wing as Tucker and Hannity. And, and you have – it's run by Rupert Murdoch's son, who isn't a conservative at all. So, uh, I, it, 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 you know, tr- I, Fox is – Fox is teetering on the brink of a challenge, and there have been there have been various Wall Street types that have tried to gin up capital, not because they're conservative, but to just see this pot of a billion dollars that can be taken if they just start up another conservative network. Yeah, but the thing, I mean, I was thinking about this, like uh, Trump. I, I mean, apparently, if he did this, he would now be motivated by a desire to kill Fox because he is unhappy that you know the 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 straight news part of of Fox has definitely not played played ball with him on this whole you know post-election battle thing and you're right i mean tucker carlson and sean hannity are foaming at the mouth about it but uh, by and large the network has has been his enemy on this and 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 reportedly that has led him to want to crush it but then and and you've heard well he might poach sean hannity and (laughs) he might but but well that's what they've been saying but but my question is he can't be that stupid Exactly. Who wants to actually work for Trump? A and B. If you no, ask Trump, can't be those stupid to want Hannity. Oh, are you crazy? That that would that would be a killer move because it it would it would uh, you'd steal a big chunk of the of the primetime Fox audience. Why wouldn't he I, want to do that? I just I just find Hannity unwatchable. He's well, of course you do, but he's got an audience. I mean, not of course you do. I would have thought you'd like he's him. He's not but a moron. He's like he's like the he's the dumb, unthinking tank. You give him his orders, he will plow ahead. And do a show with what you know you 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 want him to do. And if you're Tucker, Trump, you Tucker don't want that. Kind of, you don't want that. Brilliant. I, you're right. Okay, you're right. But 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 I think anybody who thinks carefully about it would realize they don't want to work for a company that Donald Trump runs if they have heard anything at all about what it's like to work for a company really? that runs A and B. That suggests that the company would fail. I mean, the guy's a disaster. Well, I, here's. Uh, the obvious scenario is that Fox goes up for sale because Lachlan Murdoch doesn't care about it and it's worth quite a bit of money now and 
so you, when it's worth quite a bit of money, now you sell. I think that was Ellis's analysis was that, uh, you know, it's reached its peak. Uh, so that's when you sell. And so Trump buys it. Trump, Trump doesn't have enough money. How much money Trump, would it cost? He raises money on Wall Street. Wall Street's been trying to fund this for years now. And you have Trump. That's the golden opportunity. Well, well, they let's will be give clear. Trump the money. Let's be clear. You're telling me that there are a bunch of people with tons of money who surely for reasons of making profit want to invest in a company that Trump would actually control? Well, they would. They want to invest in a Fox rival. Okay, fine. And, and, and Trump brings some virtues like name recognition and a I get huge that. pack of followers. Fine, fine. And he has an erratic management style, so you'd have to install some sort of mechanism in place the way they did when he went bankrupt, where he ceded power to rational people. Before you put up your twenty no. billion dollars, you're going to insist on some uh, no those some walls, mechanisms to control him. Those walls never last. The the wall that works is if you say no, Trump, you're actually not running this company. You don't own it. it you're not. The, you know, you, 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 they would be nuts to invest in a company that Trump is actually in charge. That'll be of. that'll be an interesting negotiation. It only has to last for two years until he runs for president again. So, uh, well, all they need is his name anyway. If they're smart, that's what they negotiate. You, yeah, you can be well, on it. You've presence. got your show and every, show. blah blah blah. Yeah, of course, show. of course. But not, but nobody smart invests in a company run by Trump. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think something like that happened. You know, my posture, I think, is going to be okay. Trump served his purpose. He needs to get out of politics. Get out of the. You know, um, we're done with Trump. Uh, shift to an anti-Trump. You know, he, you know he's shown he's shown why why he lost. He lost because he wasn't a good enough executive. Uh, with the pandemic, and he blew the negotiations with Congress over the wall, and blah blah blah, uh, and he, and he's an ingrate, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So he wasn't as effective as he should have been. He did a lot of good things. The last paragraph of Byron York's piece about what Trump has accomplished is a chock full of solid accomplishments. Uh, so he, he accomplished a lot. Thank you, Mr. Trump. Uh, but we're ready for a new generation of people, and you know there are a whole bunch of appealing Republicans and. Republicans are in the process of, as uh, as that that Democratic analyst who got fired for being unPC said, they're creating the 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 multiracial working class coalition that Democrats always wanted to create. So that would be a good thing. Uh, and there are people like Hawley and others. Uh, uh, I like J.D. Vance, but he's not experienced. Uh, who who could pick up that banner and run with it? Uh, so let's get on to them and not have Trump hovering about like squashing any potential uh, up and cover. So is that the argument of that David Shore guy that Republicans are David similar? Shore, yeah, the, the he multi- just quipped. It was a quip. Yes, because there was a long interview with him that I that I kind of half read, but I don't remember that yes, particular takeaway. This is a new. This isn't in the interview that I read. This is the, the a quip I saw on the. Interwebs, Because it does seem to me that Democrats could not implausibly um, – I mean, this is kind of ironic, I guess, because it seems to me one takeaway they might get from this election is that they should tone down the identity politics. I mean, the, the, the Hispanic vote for Trump suggests that you have to do more – then just identify, you know, just kind of identify rhetorically with Hispanics. It's like they actually have material issues 
they care about or some some non-trivial number of them do that's going to transcend any ethnic uh, identification. Um, you know, black males, I guess, went slightly toward Trump. Uh, and in general, I think the underperformance of candidates and the fact that Biden barely squeaked by, even though he's running against uh, a wild man, um, all suggests that maybe uh, the BLM identification of the Democratic Party wasn't a huge um, asset. And it would be okay with me if the Democrats switched their primary emphasis to policies that help low-income people, white, black, Hispanic. It's interesting because I I, I was sort of crowing that this is the collapse of the Ron Brownstein's coalition of the ascendant, which requires Latinos to play identity politics in order to keep the coalition up. And... uh, but no, maybe the coalition of the Senate is really there. They were just grossed out by the BLM AOC people. And if you just drop that, the coalition will reassert itself. I don't think so, but there are well, two competing I'm, schools. I'm suggesting something related, which is that you will have a better job in a way assembling a multi uh, – you'll do a better job of assembling a multi-ethnic coalition if you if you de-emphasize the identity politics a little more – Broadly and re-emphasize class-based politics. Just, just, just but, healthcare but that, and all the things that help low-income people. You're and then you steal, co- and then you steal part of Trump's base. You're assembling a different coalition, which is because the coalition of the Senate specifically excludes the white working class and. Emphasize issues to. they don't like. I know, but then it's not the coalition of the ascendant. Then it's well, a different what coalition. Issues, what issues? What issues? It... Then it's a coalition more like the the Republican populist coalition, and why don't these coalitions merge and dominate American politics for our lifetime? Wait, you're, what, what That's you're what saying is what? You have to emphasize immigration? Yeah, you have to emphasize immigration in order to be in Ron Brownstein's coalition, and you emphasize urban cultural issues like gay marriage and various things that tick I, off the working class. And I and, don't think uh, that... And, of course, you do the, the, the economic thing of... of Obamacare and healthcare, but but the basically, you know, Schumer said he, there's a quote from him saying that uh, I think uh, Kane, a, a pretty good reporter for the Washington Post, uh, Paul Kane, somebody Kane, said he said, you know, well, for every white working class voter we lose, we'll gain two in the cities. Okay, that was Schumer's philosophy. That philosophy has sort of come a cropper, I think. Um. Well, and Kane I. Thinks. Yeah, um, I personally, I really don't think, I'm skeptical that many of the, the, the white working class people that Democrats would like to steal from Trump really care that much one way or another about gay rights and, and whatever, whatever they call it these days. Um, but the, there is, there is a sort of, you know, that's the whole thesis of what's the matter with Kansas is the Republicans successfully convinced those people that the Democrats were the snobby limousine elitists looking down their nose at them. Yeah. And certainly gay rights, you know, emphasizing Mm. gay rights over pocket, over, you know, kitchen table issues was part of that. Yeah. Well, as for immigration, I think one thing this election arguably shows is that that isn't necessarily the ticket to securing the coalition of the ascendant. I mean, again, the the Latino vote was the big surprise, and it, it drifted away from the Democrats, that, even though it was very clear which side of the immigration okay. issue they were on. That's uh, Yeah. That's a double-edged sword for my side, because it also means that letting in 
millions and millions of Latinos might not be the death of the Republican Party. Well, I made this point to you last week that... that I thought that I made I, the point against myself. No, I I seized it as a talk. I, we will rerun the videotape. Let's go to the videotape. So how long have we been doing this? I mean, I want to... What else ha- happened in the world aside I have, from I have, politics? I, have, I, I do have one more point. Yeah? I was... I, I, I was putting together uh, the fact that uh, Ron Klain got the chief of staff job as opposed to Bruce Reed, who would, I would love to get it. Mm. So we're going to have President Klain instead of President Reed. And so the, 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 the sort of neoliberal Clinton type got, got sort of shunted. I, I'm sure Bruce will get a job, but... He didn't get the chief of staff job, and uh, and Jason Furman, who's a you know a brilliant economist who wrote for Slate and famously wrote an article saying Walmart was good for America that rankled a lot of liberals, but has become a leading liberal economist. Announced that he's happy to stay at Harvard. He's not going to be joining the administration, which is shocking to me since he was the logical candidate to have some big job in the administration, uh, and. Uh, you know, he was he worked for Obama in a big job, so why shouldn't he come back? So I I, I I took this as an alarming sign that maybe the liberals are in charge and the centrists are on the run. But that's just me being paranoid. I don't know anything about Ron Klain. Um I, I don't I don't know that much. He was a lot he you know, he's a he he was I think effective as Ebola's are. I mean, hard to argue with the result there. He um, he he was a standard Washington lobbyist. He lobbied for Fannie Mae. He got on the Fannie Mae gravy train during the gravy train years when they were thwarting any federal regulation, and the result, of course, was a catastrophe. So he played the game in the way pros do. And the biggest red sign is in the Florida recount. He's the guy who went crazy about the butterfly ballot, which is a badly designed ballot that caused a lot of Jews and uh in South Florida to vote for Pat Buchanan, which clearly they didn't want to do. I think it was in Fort Lauderdale. I don't know. I'm not sure. And But there's no way to undo it. There's just no way that a court is going to come in and say, oh, no. these votes for Pat Buchanan really were votes for Al Gore. This is not going to happen. So if you're any kind of legal strategist, you don't put your eggs in that basket, okay? And Klain sort of mo- sort of monomaniacally focused on this this rang-rang, this, 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 this red herring, uh, waste of energy. Uh, and instead, you know, obviously not enough people were lobbying Gore to do the thing he should have done, which is call for a statewide recount of all the ballots, be fair. And he would have won if he'd done that. But he didn't do that. So Clay, Clay showed poor judgment there. It's weird. In, in, in 88, when Biden was running for president, all these guys, Biden aides, came by Newsweek to lobby us and they're all the same type. They're all these big, beefy guys who look look like if they weren't policy wonks, they would be heavies in a, like a mob movie, right? They're like they like they like pasta dinners or something. And and I just took it. In, they were very arrogant and very confident that Biden was just going to kick ass in Iowa because only he had the soaring vision. And I just instantly hated all of them, which was a bad reaction. Yes, hatred is bad. I'm against it. The um. You know, first of all, the butterfly ballot was so badly designed, there can be no doubt that, that Gore would have won had it been. It was just a disaster. It was just like it was just like uh, 
the worst uh, interface you've ever encountered. But um, and I agree that it seems completely hopeless to try to make any hay out of that in court. There's just no calling back the the chads, you know. Right. The the um I I, I will say that you're you're this is triggered a thought about the current um the post election ruckus which is just that i guess here's what kind of worries me as i continue in this perverse habit of listening to at least a little of the steve bannon podcast on most days because it is it is the nerve center for this whole thing um i'm realizing that they are throwing so much shit against the wall in so many courts that ultimately this may come down to the question of whether uh by and large, is that your is that your leaf blower, your neighborhood leaf blower? Uh, that's my neighbor. I, I thought they switched to an electric, but I guess not. I've got an electric. I would send it to them. All of a um, sudden, most of the gardeners in my neighborhood switched to electric overnight. Oh, God bless them! I'm trying to get an ordinance passed here, electric this, or battery powered. This is crazy. But I think they may. I think there's been that ordinance in place for years, but now they're obeying it. But I guess this guy is still disobeying it, so I'm dial sorry. Nine, let's stop and, and dial 911. I, I am on a jihad against against gas-powered leaflets. Get Bannon on the case. He would, I'll tell you, in a way he's admirable. When he sinks his teeth into something, especially if a pardon is on the line, he really <laughs> goes after it. So, but, anyways. Um, anyway, I just want to say, like, I just realized, like, they're throwing so much shit into so many courts that ultimately this may come down to the question of whether... Of the character of the judiciary, is it, is it, is it, and 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 that that kind of points to one of the things I would worry about in a second Trump term, him, him having four more years to to fill the federal courts full of people he likes. I'm not saying he has packed them with loyalists so far, but he has packed them with Republican sympathizers or conservatives. And if you look at the statistic, he hasn't come close to packing the federal courts. He's appointed like a third of the judges. Well, that's a lot for one president. It that's is a, a lot. lot. He's been a lot for one president, but this idea that Trump has transformed the judiciary. The, tr- the judiciary was overwhelmingly Democratic, and now it's slightly Democratic. Okay, but it would be mostly Republican after a second term. And if, uh, I don't know, I'm just saying that it may come down to that. And, and it may even come down to the character of the Supreme Court. I well, feel he's not going to get a second term, so why does it come down to that at all? No, I mean this, this, this outcome this time, the, the, this, the battle he's fighting over this election may come down yeah, to the character they, of, of the judiciary because there's tons of judges right now who have the option of deciding in his favor. They're right, all over the country. The Supreme Court is, uh, the, the, uh, their Darwinian calculus would militate against, they, they want to show Trump, they, they want to show the world that they're independent, uh, and that they're not, uh, political hacks. And so, they would tend to, to uh, I think, I'm, be disposed to uh, to stiff arm Trump. Trump has I'm, to have an awfully good case to make it. To, I'm to win the hopeful Court. that that's true, and to give them some credit, uh, I think they might even sincerely ask themselves a question about the health of the republic. Um, but in any well, I think event, they ask themselves that all the time. But in any event, I think that they even ask with that too much, Roberts makes a bunch of bad decisions because he cares about the health of the republic. Um. um he, he okay. decided to preserve DACA because of the fucking health of the Republic. <laughs> um, don't worry, we won't need him in the future because Joe Biden will take care of that, Mickey, with his own executive order on DACA, won't he? Well, yeah, but but okay. uh, so that issue will be moot. But 
you know, but Trump issued an executive order and the courts refused to honor it. It's insane. You could you're allowed to you're allowed to amnesty people, but if you try to undo the undo the amnesty, then then all of a sudden there's a ratchet that takes hold. So, Mickey, quickly, I'm not bitter about this. I know you don't sound bitter, and you're not bitter about Jeffrey Tubin. That was an amazing segue. Have you finally well, I was, ceased to feel... Something about uh, looking at your m- new microphone, Bob, made me think of Jeffrey Tubin. Oh, come on. All microphones are a little phallic. This one's not worse than most. This is like an unbelievably phallic microphone. Yeah, those, of, those of you who are not l- I'll looking give at this a clear, a clear on view video, of it. it's 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 absolutely <laughs> the most phallic microphone you've ever seen. It's, it's intentionally designed to look phallic. It's not like... It's That's not even not an true. accident. That's not um, true. I, you want to know what key feature it has that attracted me to it? Yeah. Manual mute button. <laughs> maybe I don't maybe I don't want to know. Manual mute button. If Tubin's it had well, never mind. It has well, a so manual you, mute button. It has a cough if, button, you mean. If Tubin's camera had had a manual mute button, we it, wouldn't be talking about him it right now. It didn't have a manual mute button? No, I, I thought the I thought the Tubin punishment was too harsh. It's awfully harsh. I will say it's the first time I felt sorry for him. When my wife told me, so he tweeted after 27 years at the New Yorker, I've been fired. I'll always have high regard for the magazine or something like that. And when my wife told me that a lot of people were giving him shit on Twitter rather than just, you know, giving him his moment, I did feel kind of bad for him, I have to say. Um, um, and you, of course, you're the one who had who had uh, felt bitter enmity toward him. Uh, not bitter enmity, but I thought he was, I thought he was... Uh a rival. A sleazeball. A rival, and hence the test. A sleazeball. A dis- he's a sleazeball who started his career by betraying prosecutor J- J- uh, Walsh and continued in that vein for 27 years, so, or more than that. So, um, do you. And he slimed my friend Mike Isakoff and screw him, but this pu- this publication, this do you punishment complain? was ridiculously hard. Not as weird as the publish- punishment of Ryan Lizza, who we don't know what he did. And su- suddenly he was excommunicated from the New Yorker. Well, He's funny. one of the best reporters around. Now, he was a case of New Yorker firing, but CNN not. And we'll see what happens to Tubin. I, now, do you remember that we, we placed a bet either here or in the parrot room that where I bet you bet that within two months he would be back. Tubin would be back on CNN. OK, I'm, I'll stick I, with that. I'll I'm willing that. to double the bet, whatever it was. I'm not willing to double the bet. I think you may be right, but I'll stick with my bet. Because here's what happened to Tubin. And by the way, I would ask, do you spend your time denouncing Jim Fallows because he elevated his profile by writing something unflattering about his boss, Jimmy Carter? Uh, I mean, if you're if you're complaining that Tubin betrayed some early boss or something, is that it? Well, there are there are there, the distinction between the two cases is uh, with Fallows, there was a payoff. In other words. As the Washington Monthly, oh. which is sort of like a Fallows magazine, if you're going to betray your boss Walsh, you better come up with some public interest lesson for us that justified this. And Tubin didn't. Fallows really did. Fallows' piece basically defined the Carter presidency for yeah. the voters that had no idea what was going. We didn't know he was micromanaging the tennis courts instead of that's the doing anecdote his, everyone his remembers. Job. That's and, the anecdote well, everyone that's the remembers. key. And, and so w- once we learned that, okay, well, now we know about this guy. That was a huge public service that uh, makes up for the betrayal. There is an element of betrayal. Okay, well, uh, anyway, I don't know why I asked that. Um, but uh, the, the trouble that Tuvin is in, I think, is that 
this thing, which isn't itself, it's not really like a Me Too violation or anything. I mean, um, but it it it's resurfaced a couple of Me Too type infractions that had predated the Me Too era. So they were noted at the time. You know, uh, we talked about them last week, either here or in the pair room, whatever, you know, Tubin and Judith Regan, Google it. But, but, but they were not such a big deal at the time because it was pre-Me Too. Now they resurface as a result of this, and it's a lo- it's a bigger indictment than it was. And I think that's one reason uh, the New Yorker said, huh, sayonara. That, I don't know. It. And I, that's I, one I reason I'm resurfacing. It was always extremely odd that as a result of Me Too, Ryan Lizza would get have to leave and Jeff Tubin would get to stay. I would what have I mean, thought, what I mean I by resurface, the reverse. What I mean by resurface is surely as the New York New Yorker staff processed this and David Remnick got feedback from the New Yorker staff, everyone on the staff, uh, in, including Me Too activists, were aware, became aware of the earlier things and that but i'm sure that became part of the conversation you're giving remnick way too much credit if he didn't know all that stuff all along he's an idiot and he's not no i'm not saying he didn't i'm not saying he didn't i'm just saying it became inescapable it it, it acquired new moment um or a moment it it couldn't have had three years ago anyway so Um, here is my what do you think so you think he'll be back on cnn I actually have my doubts now, but uh, but I'll stick and, to my bet. And if he I isn't, think he's, it's hard for them to come up with a new. They've spent a lot of capital invested in making him a personality, and to to have a new person, I think would 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 be tough. Uh, so I, I, I you're I mean, I, you're available. I you're available. Fifty one. There you go. Fifty one. Forty nine. I'll 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 stick with my bet, but I wouldn't be surprised if I does. Jeff Zucker know you went to Harvard Law School? Is that his name, Jeff Zucker? Um. Uh. I Jeff Zucker doesn't even know who I am, nor do I know him. We can change that. I I know the, people. The who Harvard know Law School Jeff thing Zucker. is fading. I was I was. Caught in an elementary mistake by Larry Tribe on Twitter the other day. Always it was a bad really sign. embarrassing. It was embarrassing. Always a bad sign. So, so what, um, what's your career advice for Tubin? If he if he doesn't make it on the scene, well, the, it's pretty obvious. Write a book. Exactly. But what is the book? It's a story of redemption. Interesting. If you're Jeff Goldberg, you go write a book about Palestinians and Jews in a humanistic. Uh, portrait of them, uh, their dilemma in Israel. Uh, if you're Jeff Tubin, uh, you I think it's got to be a story of redemption. I will elaborate in the parrot room. It's really not fit for more public consumption. It has to have something to do with race. It has to be something to do with. No, 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 no. You really don't understand the, the strategic uh, logic here. I'll straighten you out. It has to have something to do with me too, a confession. What Tubin I gave you as many clues. I gave you as many clues as any Harvard Law graduate should need, Mickey. Makes me wonder if it's true that you went to Harvard Law School. He, he's going to. He, the clue is that he's going to replace me on on this show, <laughs> and he, he'll get a uh, he'll get a microphone of his he own. He will receive he, a cut in income, but it won't be that extreme. We'll be um, off to the races. Your clue was story of redemption. I'll tell you in the parrot room. Now, that this is a is this too cheap a stunt? Yes, for the, to to gin up interest in the parrot <laughs> room is it even for us? 
Nothing is too cheap for us. There you go. That's okay. why Jeff Tubin won't be filling your shoes. Um, so, what else should we plug? Uh, besides the parrot there, room, besides suggesting... Yeah, that, we should uh, start a feature of crazy left-wing ideas that are being forced on Biden. Name uh, one. Uh, the idea that he can... Uh, there was seriously proposed, and there was a professor somewhere at BU or Harvard who seriously proposed it, that using Medicaid funds to provide housing for poor people on the grounds that housing is important to health. I would say that's a pretty big loophole you're carving in the Medicaid statute if anything that might affect your health they can spend money Wait, on. Wait, run that, so, I'm sorry, I missed that. Run that by me again. Using... The idea is that they could, states could use Medicaid money to provide housing for poor people and to provide, pay their rent and to... Uh, basically, you know, help them cope with the pandemic in a way that doesn't actually involve them providing doctors and hospitals. Well, is this a, a legacy of the big Medicaid grants that Obamacare gave to states? Big it Medicaid? must be a le legacy of that there's a bunch of Medicaid money sloshing around that they could get that they can't get for housing. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, well, if it's sloshing around, do something with it, but... I guess it's. I guess, or they spend it and then they ask for a refill. It's like you can you can do a lot more spending if you brand it as health spending. This is like instead of housing spending. So it's mm -hmm. basically let's sneak everything under the rubric of health, uh, uh, and uh, it seems to be uh, a little non-transparent. Um, I've heard of I've heard of scarier things happening coming from White Houses. I don't think um, we're, we're obviously going to have a. There's going to be a. a we're going to have a whole the whole fight over welfare again. You know the Mark Greenbergs of the world, who was he was the Svengali of uh, trying to get states to loosen the work requirements. So, yeah, if you're really screwed up, you know you don't really have to work. We'll just send you a check. And of course, that's more much more plausible now after Yang's candidacy and after the uh, the uh, spurt of support for the guaranteed income. So uh, uh, they'll try that again, and we'll have that whole fight again. I'm not looking forward to that. Um. um so maybe. Uh, hey, we've been doing this a long time, Mickey. Do you want to nominate a song of the Trump era? I'm not sure I'm getting through to you. Um, <laughs> okay, we can do that in the parrot room. Yeah, that's good parrot. Okay, song of Trump era. I don't. I have I, one. It's something I need to think about anyway. I have one I've been pushing for years, so. Wait, I'll, I'll guess and don't tell me if I'm, uh, no, I don't know if I can come up with a good guess. It would take, I, I'm bad at these things. Let's see. Song. There's no, there's no fucking way you're going to guess this, so. Don't even try. Um. Let's see. Blue Danube Waltz? No? It's people you've never heard of, Bob. Have you heard of Bright Eyes? You know who Bright Eyes is? No. Okay, well, you're. You're not going to so, get it then. <laughs> so we should. So we should then do ritual self promotion. Sign off. Okay. Okay. So, Patreon.com/slash Parrot Room. If you want to support our uninhibited conversation, and if you want as a bonus to enjoy the even less inhibited version of it in the Parrot Room. Um. And in the Parrot Room, we find out about Tubin's career. Plus, we hear more from that adorable parrot. 
Oh, that reminds me. Somebody tweeted that you got the economics wrong on the uh, – he says – this is Tom Persky. Yes, low-wage earners had some income gains in recent years, but most of that effect came from changes in minimum wage laws, a policy that Trump and the Republicans have opposed. Well, um, I, I don't know why that came it, to mind. oppose it, and some of it came from that, and some of it came from elsewhere. Okay. So, so back to self-promotion. I don't know why that came to mind. Um if you're watching on YouTube and you smash the like button, that will draw more people to uh, watch this. Uh, the The podcast feed this is on is The Right Show. You could rate and review that. Um, uh, and then what else? Your newsletter my, is Cal's my Files? My newsletter is called Cal's Files. It's a substack. I will get around to writing one soon. I promise. Uh, if the subscription is free, so the worst that happens is that nothing happens. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but I... I promise to write one. It's just uh, you have had other things pressing. You are not Mickey Kaus on Twitter. Who would have guessed that that one was taken? You are Kaus Mickey on Twitter. I think Mickey Kaus is taken by me, but but I, I couldn't make it work, so I went to Kaus Mickey. And then huh. I'm stuck with it. So I'm Robert Ryder on Twitter. Other forms of self-promotion? I don't think so. Okay. You know that there's a, there's a Senate seat opening up in California. I guess. That's, Wait, there is. That's definitely for Kamala Harris's seat. I. Uh, so what the governor the governor appoints somebody. Yeah, I better start sucking up to him pretty quickly. Yeah, I think you've got a real shot at w- winning the favor of you the. You should California. go to somebody who's tried. You know, who knows the ropes, who, who's done it before. If they turn quick. to anyone other than you, uh, it'll be baffling to me. You've got I the did, experience, you've got the Harvard Law thing, got a parrot. I did finish third, Bob. I finished second in the uh, elementary school spelling bee. Okay. okay. And I was in fifth grade and the winner was in sixth, but I don't want to get into that. wasn't really You were robbed. Think about it. I was robbed, robbed and I would like a recount, yes. It was the software that they used. Okay. It was, it was Dominion. Okay. So, um, yes. On the pair room and, and nice hammer. Uh, and, uh, we'll, uh, we'll see everybody next week. Yeah.